I'm not up, used to being up here this early. I was still putting the finishing touches on this thing, and Justin's like, you got to get out there, man. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Oh, come on, folks. We can do better than that. Awesome. There we go. There we go. So um, I work at a, a financial institution during the week, and uh, I work in what's called the innovation department. And so our job is to take problems that are, are kind of difficult or problems that the company has looked at for years but has struggled to find solutions for. And our job is either to bring new technologies in that maybe give us a different way to do it, or sometimes forget the technology and just approach it from a different angle and allow us to bring a new process in that helps out. And so uh, one of my, my biggest wins ever in part of a large team was we were struggling to get young people to save. Now it's always funny because we say that like that's a new thing, like young people being bad at savings is, is like a, a unique problem to this generation. I'm pretty sure that's a problem that's been for young people forever. I don't know that we would ever have really found a good group of 18 to 22 year olds who are fantastic at saving money. But uh, we looked at these folks and we started thinking about how can we help them save money. And so one of the things we learned was if we could just take very small, tiny amounts of money away from their accounts, like three, four bucks, and hide it from them, those small amounts, if it was out of sight and out of mind, they wouldn't notice that it was gone. And slowly over time, it would start building up awareness. Uh, the other thing that we noticed was if we could help them spend better, then that would help them out as well. And one of the biggest problems we learned is that young people don't even know what their bank account balances are from day to day. A lot of people don't check what their bank account balance is until they're in line at Walmart or HEB. They're looking at the cart going, man, I hope this doesn't get declined. And they pull up the balance, and really at that juncture, all that's going to happen is the only way they'll put something back is if they can't pay for it at all, but they don't want to be embarrassed, so for the most part, everything will stay there. It's really almost too late. And so we decided to create this, this text message app that would every day text you your balance in the morning and then let you know when we'd stolen enough little amounts of money that a significant chunk of change was there, like 25, 50, 100 bucks, that you'd be like, wow, I've saved up so much money. Now, one of the interesting things that we did is we learned the younger people kind of found this boring in and of itself. So we created a avatar of a dog, and when he would tell you your balances, he'd also give you dog jokes. And what was funny is, initially, where I work, we're kind of straight-laced and kind of boring and not very fun. And so they were like, a talking dog. Why would you solely our names with a talking dog? And we're like, the people like it. They, some people are only keeping it for the dog jokes. So we should keep this thing. And so we did all this testing on it, and finally we found out it was working really well. And in fact, we ended up winning a national award for the creation of this app and how successful it was doing. Now what was funny is when the nomination came in, one person needed to go to Florida uh, to represent the invention and to speak to it. And so um, they came to me and they said, you know, you ran the team, you know this thing better than anybody, we want you to go. So I start prepping, working on the speech, Working how I'm going to run people through this, you know, kind of cool, going to go to Florida. Uh, about a week before, they come to me and go, yeah, you're not going. I said, why? And they're like, uh, you know, just strategically as we're looking at things, we think there's some individuals that maybe could help us with it. And I said, could you just cut through it? Why am I not going? And they're like, you're not important enough. Just to be straight with you, you're just not important enough. 
but you're a director. We can't send a director. They're sending VPs and presidents of companies to compete for these things. You can't go, you're not important enough. So we found a president of one of the companies. You need to tell him what you were gonna say. You need to give him your slides and he's gonna pitch the thing. Man, I was not a happy camper about that. Especially because this guy had never worked on the thing. He knew nothing about it. He knew absolutely nothing about it. And also, I have to be honest, my ego kind of took a hit. Like when you have someone just look at you and go, you're not important enough. Like, sorry. It's like, wow, you didn't even try to like smooth over that. You just said it. But it was a valuable lesson for me because if we're honest, the world tells you and me that all the time. In fact, I think if we were honest almost every single day, you are probably bombarded by messages from the world that say you're not important enough. You don't matter. No one would really come to us and give us something significant, something important, something huge and go, I trust you with this. And when that happens to you long enough, over enough period of time, you start to shape your own view of yourself. You start to believe the message. You start to believe they're right. You start to believe that you are not unique, you are not valuable, and you shouldn't be trusted with anything big. And in fact, if we read through scripture, we realize this isn't unique to you and I. It seems to be just part of the human condition. We talked last week about responding to the call of God in your life. And we talked about how so often when God would show up to the characters of the Bible and say, you, you are mighty. You, you are capable. You, I am going to use you to do great and mighty things. With those messages so often, the person hearing them was in utter disbelief. In fact, if you read the Bible, you will find that most of the time, believers will take negative messages from God far easier than they will positive ones. If God shows up and goes, you've messed up, you've done wrong, you're going to get my wrath, you don't deserve what I'm giving you, people go, yep, yep, you got me, you got me. It's when God shows up and goes, you, mighty warrior, let's go. That's when we really dig our feet and go, mighty warrior, do you know what you're talking to? Not me. Not me. And so brothers and sisters, what I, I want you to think about this is that the reality is each and every one of us in this room has been given the most important task in the history of the universe by God. We have been given the most precious and amazing mission that anybody could ever be given. We have been trusted with the most valuable thing in the universe. And not by accident. Not because there's no one else. By God's choice, He has given us the most precious thing in this world and He has given us the most valuable mission because He made you for it. And brothers and sisters, what I hope, what I pray is instead of you listening to the idiotic phrases of the world that every single day tries to tell you you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not valuable enough, that you're not important enough. I hope that you will block that noise out because that's all it is. And you will listen to the voice of your Father saying, you're my masterpiece. You are one of a kind. I shaped you in your mother's womb and I have given you the greatest task ever to do. If you have your Bibles, flip with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, you can see the words up here on the screen. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we are given what is known as the Great Commission. To be honest, brothers and sisters, every single one of us should know this by heart. Because these are the last words of our Savior and Lord here on earth. I was telling the kids in, in youth group this morning, 
those that I've lost, that I love and care about, I remember my last conversations with them. I remember the last things they said. And in fact, I can tell you as a pastor, I've, I've seen very few things compete with the stress and anxiety and worry and hurt that's caused when someone's last conversation with someone they loved didn't go well. I've seen people who for years, for years, can't get past one last conversation. Even if they have years and years of unbelievable memories, years and years of love, years and years of awesome moments, if that final one didn't go right, it creates a wound in so many people that's hard to get past. Well, brothers and sisters, if Jesus is the one we love the most, if that's our Lord and our Savior, if that's the one we cherish above all, why, why would we not cherish the final words that He gave us? And especially when those final words aren't just some pithy comment, some silly throwaway line, but no, those final words were the words He knew would be His last and they carried with them a weight and a significance for you and I about what He wanted us to do, about how He wanted us to live. Shouldn't we cherish those? Shouldn't we know them? Shouldn't we live by them? Look what He says. He says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some were still doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what he did there? One of my favorite and least favorite things about having children is building stuff with them. I love it because it's fun to work with them. But there are those moments when I just really want to get the task done fast, and having a three-year-old help you build a bookshelf does not speed up your efficiency. In fact, there is a 50% chance by having a three-year-old and seven-year-old help you build the bookshelf, the bookshelf will never get built. My, my three-year-old, he loves to like grab all the screws and then go somewhere with them. And then I'm like, where are they? I need one more. And he's like, I don't know. Let's just retrace the steps, which are everywhere. All the steps in all the places. Right? And every step you take, which would have only taken you 30 seconds, now comes with 50 million questions. But what's that, Dad? That's a screw. What's this? A screwdriver. What do you call it, Dad? A Phillips. Why is it called a Phillips? I don't know why it's called a Phillips. Was the guy named Phillips who made it? Maybe. I don't know. What's this one called? The flathead. Why doesn't that one have the guy's name? I don't know. Did the same guy make the Phillips that made the flathead? Don't know. Are there other shapes? Not really. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Can we just put the screw in? <laughs> but you realize there's something beautiful about working with your kids. There's something about that time together. And then my favorite part of it is after the two days to build the thing that should have only taken three hours, they too get to have that joy of going, we helped build mommy's bookshelf. We did that together. You and I realize when we look at this great commission that God did not need our help. God does not need our help to spread the gospel. If God just wanted to spread the gospel in the most effective manner possible, he'd just do it himself. God lacks nothing. God doesn't need your talent. God doesn't need your ability. God doesn't need your humor. God doesn't need your life story. God doesn't need your money, your car, your house. God needs none of the stuff you have. He lacks absolutely nothing. But He loves us. He cherishes us. He's obsessed with us. He says He knew all the days of our life before we'd ever set foot on this earth. He says He knows every single hair on our heads. 
you guys looking at my bald head. Every time I say that, you guys look at my bald head and it makes me a little self-conscious, okay? All right, he knows the number decreasing every day. I know, okay? God loves us so much that he knew one of the most beautiful and valuable things he could do was allow us to be part of that mission with him. And I love it because guess what? We're not qualified. We're not uniquely talented. But it doesn't matter because Dad gave us a job to do. Dad loves us and Dad has called us to do the most beautiful and valuable thing in all the world. And so I want us to look at this and I want us to, to break it down and I want us to think about what he's saying. Because to be honest, there's two parts of this message. One part is, it's so cool. How unbelievably amazing that the most important work in the history of the world, in the history of the universe, God asked you to be part of. I mean, I think about the number of things I am not allowed to do by this world on a regular basis, and it is nowhere near the most important task in the universe. But God has called me and has asked me and allows me to be part of this. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. On the other hand, there's part of this message that's so frustrating to me because we've been given to this message, we've been given this task by our awesome Father and somehow we're all okay kind of not doing it. We're kind of all okay just ignoring it. We've somehow read that and think that's this. And like, don't get me wrong, I love what we're doing right now. I, I love worshiping. I love singing songs. I love being with my family. I love getting into His Word. And there is value in this. Value that comes from Him. But like, this isn't doing that. This is the family recharging. This is the family coming together. This is the family refocusing. That happens out there. And strangely, weirdly, infuriatingly, it has become unbelievably acceptable for us to be lifelong Christians and to say things like, uh, yeah, I can't share the gospel. Yeah, I could never share my testimony with anybody. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. And what's weird is you can say those things and not only can you say them, but the rest of the church will go, yeah, I know what you're saying. Crazy, right? Yeah, I could never do that either. How is that okay? How is that okay that his last message is this? And then here we are going, yeah, we, we don't do that ever, really. And so today, I hope, I hope you'll leave with two things. I hope you'll leave with this unbelievable joy that you have been handpicked by God to do the most awesome task in the universe. A task that literally can save lives. A task that literally can change the world. And at the same time, I hope you'll leave with a little bit of a fire. It says, I gotta get off my butt and I gotta start taking this seriously. I gotta start really going at this. Let's break it down. A few key words. First, go. Go. That requires us to do what? To move, to go someplace, to be active. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, we should love this because more now than at any other point in the history of the world has human beings become spectators. In fact, we are so bad, we desire to be spectators when we're actually supposed to be active participants. Don't believe me, just look at the people around you as we're driving to work every day. You are behind a three-ton vehicle, well in Texas probably a five-ton vehicle, driving 60 to 70 miles per hour, surrounded by hundreds of other people doing this as well, all of you probably tired. And what do we decide to do? Well, doing this task that my life could end at, I need to see what's going on in Instagram. Oh my gosh, do you see this picture here? 
If I hadn't seen that picture, my life would not be complete right now. Even doing a task that should require all of our active participation, we're going, man, I really wish I could just be a spectator. And then we go home and we sit in front of Netflix. And I, I'm, I'm not judging you here because I've been here. Anybody ever been there where you decided to watch one television episode and six hours later you're like, oh my gosh, we just watched three seasons. How did that happen? Also, at the same time, you've just told people you didn't have any time to read the Bible because you were too busy. But you just been to watch the whole series in one night. Like, do you notice now, people don't even mind waiting at the doctor's office. Why? Because I can do anything I want. I could play video games, I could watch a movie, I could text people, I could watch YouTube, I could do anything in the world sitting there. In fact, I actually have justified reason to sit here and do nothing besides entertain myself with my cell phone. We have become spectators watching life pass us by. And some of these things that we watch, I don't even understand. We would rather watch other people have family feuds and fights than us have fights we should have in our own families. Go. Go. Get up and move. That's where this starts. If you have your Bibles, flip with me. I want to look at another place where God told his people to move. Look with me at Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus sends out the 72 to do his work. And actually in verse 3 it starts, and we'll start there in 3. He says, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of woods. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if it is not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat what is before you and heal those who are there who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we will wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day of Sodom than for that city. Brothers and sisters, throughout his ministry, Jesus sent his disciples to go. And he didn't tell them it would be easy. He didn't tell them that it would require no challenges. In fact, he would tell them just how difficult it would be. In other places, he tells them to go out to be innocent as dove, but to be as shrewd as snakes. Meaning, don't do anything wrong, but keep your head on a swivel. Anywhere that Jesus went, he encouraged people to act, to do. And it's why no matter how difficult the path was, no matter how many people hated upon him, there was always a group that stayed with him because he gave them purpose. He gave them action. He gave them something to do. Brothers and sisters, how many of you do jobs where you show up the next day and feel like, here we go again, doing the exact same thing I did the day before, and the same thing I did the day before, and the same thing I did the day before, and the same thing I did the day before. When Elle was born and I had three months off work, it was awesome. It was so cool to have three months off work. It was also very scary because you know what I realized? I am completely and utterly replaceable. I disappeared for three months and nothing broke at work. The train didn't derail. Nobody's careers went in the garbage can. No projects failed. They just kept moving. I was like, this is cool, but it also probably just told my boss I'm completely not valuable. God gives us a mission to do something of unbelievable value, but we got to move, we got to act, we got to do. Second word, make disciples. Do you notice again another verb? 
Go. Make. Right? Be active. Do something. And this word he says here, disciples, is so important. Because disciples is more than just a believer. Disciples is more than just somebody who intellectually acknowledges a certain set of facts. But you and I, we sometimes get wrapped up in this, like, my job is to memorize what this book says and to know the facts. No, it's not. It's valuable to memorize it. It's valuable to know its words. It's valuable to do those things. But only if it changes who you are. Only if it leads you to a deeper relationship with God. Satan knows every fact there is to know about Jesus. Satan knows more about Christ, who he is, and his goodness and his activities than you and I will ever know. But he is not a disciple. He believes, but he does not follow. He does not love. He does not trust. You and I being Christians is not a matter of you and I believing a certain set of facts. It's about you and I knowing those facts and it having changed our lives to the point that we say, I will do anything and everything necessary to be where Jesus is. I will follow Him. I will follow Him in the green pastures. I will follow Him in the valley of the shadow of death. Because I don't care where I'm at. I just need to be where He is. That's a disciple. In Matthew chapter 7, it talks a little bit about this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. That's a disciple. A disciple is not someone who tells you they're a disciple. A disciple is not someone who knows the right verses to say. A disciple is someone who built their house on the rock. And how you know that is when the storm comes, when the winds blow, when the rain comes, they don't move. They weather that storm. You know it because when you look at their lives, there is fruit present everywhere that shows you they belong to God. How cool is that? How awesome is it that you and I, as flawed, as broken, as weak, as messed up as we are, that we get the ability to live in such a way that folks could look at us and go, you know what, in this moment you remind me of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how beautiful that is? How awesome that is? That you and I get the chance to live and to act and to live in such a way that people in moments will look at us and go, You belong to Jesus, don't you? How do you know that? I know that because the last time I saw that kind of boldness, the last time I saw that kind of love, the last time I saw that kind of courage was in Him. I know you belong to Him. What a feeling. How awesome that anybody would ever confuse me for Him. I don't understand, but man, that's cool. That's exciting. That I could be acknowledged as belonging to my Father in the way that I live my life. You know, it's funny as I I totally understand this as a little boy. 
shoot, even as a grown man, I work at a company my father used to work at. And every now and then I'll run into somebody that knew him. And I've had these moments where like, I'll be given a presentation or a talk and I'll, I'll see someone kind of weirdly looking at me, which you guys weirdly look at me every Sunday, but you know, I'll, I'll notice something's different. And they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll go, man, you were really throwing me there. I'll be like, why? What, what, was it my message? And they'll be like, no, you're like Jim. When you were up there talking, I was like, it's, it's mini Jim up there. My dad's not that big. I'm just saying mini Jim, like, you know, little version like his child. But I'll be real with you. I'm 36 years old, and when somebody tells me, you remind me of your father, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's a great compliment. It makes me feel unbelievably happy to know in that moment I reflect my father. It brings me great joy. And to know that we could do that not with the Father in this earth who is flawed, but the Father in heaven who is perfect. How cool. How awesome. How amazing. Go, make disciples, baptizing. Again, what do you notice? Action. Right? Go, make, baptize. Do, do, do. Baptize. Why do we baptize? We baptize because of what happens in Matthew chapter 3. Just flip back a few pages. In Matthew chapter 3, we see Christ be baptized. And what's beautiful about the baptism of Jesus is Jesus doesn't get baptized the way you and I do. Or you and I get baptized to cleanse us of our sins. To show that we had sins, Jesus came into our life, and Jesus washed them away. And so then we get baptized in water, not because that water's doing anything for us, but that baptism reminds us of what He did. Jesus didn't need to get baptized to wash away sins. He did it for a different reason. And it says this in Matthew 3.13, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by Him. But John tried to prevent Him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus did it. Not to show sin being washed away, but He did it as a sign of obedience to His Father. He did it to show everybody that even though He was God, in His life, the thing that would matter most was honoring the Father. Serving the Father. And to be real, that's the same for you and I. The waters in that tank don't wash away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus does that. But you and I, when we walk into those waters and we go under them and we come back up, what we're saying is, I want the world to know I am no longer mine. I want the world to know I belong to the one that died on that cross. I belong to the one that came back three days later. I belong to the Lord of the universe. And that is who I follow. It's our declaration of being something new. And that's what God encourages us to help others do. We go, we make disciples, and we help those disciples find their new identity. No longer pushed down by what the world has lied and told them for years. No longer thinking of themselves by their worst actions. But now seeing themselves as their almighty God and Father sees them. Those beautiful children that he shaped in their mother's womb. Realizing that they can be that again. That's what we get to be part of. Go, make, baptize, and teach. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us in this room is called to teach. It's not saying you'll be great at it. It's not saying you'll be amazing at it. It's not saying you'll be awesome at it, but we are still called to do it. Which means you've got to know the curriculum. 
you got to know what you're supposed to teach. And to be honest, it's not just what's in here. There's also a very easy thing for you to teach, and that's for you to teach what you have witnessed. You want the easiest place in the world to start when sharing the gospel? Tell your story. Tell how you were fallen in sin. Tell how you encountered the creator of the universe. Tell how you decided that you wanted to follow them for the rest of your life. And tell them how you have changed since God came into you. You know what I love about that story? You're the expert at it. I can't tell that story, but you can. You were there firsthand. And you know what's awesome? You know what's amazing? More people care about your story and what happened to you than what I can share from this book. Because if they're your friend, if they're your loved one, if there's somebody that respects you, what carries more weight than the pastor's sermon is how their best friend changed. How their loved one became someone different. That story carries such significance with the people in our lives. We have a duty to teach. One of my grandfather's favorite verses was this one here in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Study to show thyself approved to God, a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's that mean? It means you and I have a duty to show God the Father and the people around us that we get into that word like workmen. Breaking it down, understanding its truths, meditating on them, thinking about them, and then using them in our lives. Brothers and sisters, I think so many Christians in our country have just veered away from the gospel because they trust people who call themselves pastors to do the work for them. I love you and I make every effort every week to lead you in God's word and to reveal to you truths and wisdoms in it. But I am not the manager of your spiritual life. You are. And no words of Luke Gradeless will ever save your life. No words of Joel Osteen, no words of any pastor will ever save your life. It is only the words of God Almighty that can. And it is your job to know them, to love them, to cherish them, and to use them. The first people who should ever know if a pastor is spewing their own wisdom and not the words of God are the people in the pews. Because they should know that word and they should cherish it. It's a love letter from your father to you. A love letter that he died to get in your hands. A love letter that he has protected for thousands of years to get to you. A love letter that people died to get in your hands. And so many of us let it sit on some nightstand gathering dust. But we binge watch a television show that has no eternal value. Study to show thyself approved to God, a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. And here's the beauty. Here's the unbelievable beauty. When you read that word and you cherish that word, God pulls it out of you and uses it in the right moments. I'll be with you, brothers and sisters. There's so many times where I'll listen back to the sermon and be like, that was not a point that I had written during the week. I did not plan to say that, but something happened in that moment where I was talking about that point. God pulled up this verse. It came up in me, and I knew I needed to share it. Jesus. That's what the beauty of the Word is. We go, we make, we baptize, we teach. And we do all of that with boldness and confidence because of the last part. I am with you, He says. I am with you. Brothers and sisters, being a Christian is not you adopting a way of life. It's not you deciding that this is a great philosophy. It's not you going, you know what, the rules in this book are so beneficial to society. The wisdom in this book fulfills my life and makes me successful. That's not the point. Because here's the reality of life. If what Christianity is to you is a philosophy you will always lose. Because there will always be people who you love, 
who you care about, who have been there for you, that sometimes will try to pull you away. And when relationships with people of the world attack you and all you have to stand on is philosophy, you'll throw your philosophy away all day, every day. We study this all the time at work about how a lot of research is absolutely worthless. One of the biggest ones we always use as kind of an anecdote to show this is what people say about their privacy and security. If I sit down with 10,000 people and go, how important is security to you, especially when it comes to your phone? Would you want to share with people what websites you're looking about, who your friends are, who your contacts are on your phone? Like 95% of people be like, no. That is very important to me. I would never share that information. I want to protect it. Those same people, if I offer them a free life on Candy Crush, if they'll just click this button, we'll click it and share all that information. So they'll tell you, hugely important to me. I would never do that. And then you come in and go, well, what about this? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Thanks. Awesome. Anything else you want? People don't always say what they want to do. Why? Because it's a philosophy. It's a thing they think positively about. But it's not real. It doesn't matter because it doesn't have the heart in it. What makes you stand when those people in the world who have been your friends for years are trying to pull you towards sin is not some you remembering a way of life or some rule in a book. What keeps you firm in those moments is going, guys, I'm not leaving him. Yeah, you had my back when we were 13. Yeah, you covered for me when I missed work that day. But guess what? This is my Savior. This is the one that made me. This is the one that shaped me. This is the one that's been with me every single day of my life. This is the one who has bailed me out of the worst and darkest places I've ever been. And if you think that I'm going to leave him for you, oh, you are fooled. It's not going to happen. There's nothing you can do to make me leave him. It has to be about him. I'm going to leave you with one last passage. Joshua 1. We are given God's key to success. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, he says to this young man that he is asking to lead his nation. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you shall go. Wherever you shall go. Brothers and sisters, sharing the gospel is not easy. Sharing the gospel will offend. Sharing the gospel could ruin friendships. Sharing the gospel could get you into arguments, could get you in trouble at work. But you know why we do it? We do it because not only could it save the life of the person that we're sharing it with, but we do it because we know right there in that moment, our Lord and Savior is standing with us. And we will not deny Him. I would rather offend everybody in this world, but to show Him I love Him and I am obeying Him than to offend no one but have him standing there ignored. He's with you. He's by your side. He's given you everything. And he has laid in your hands the greatest truth in the history of the universe. And he's allowing you to share it. So do it. Go. Make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father. Teach the gospel. And do as he asks. Go. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And we thank you.
We thank you, Lord, that you've chosen such feeble instruments as us to spread your message. Father, that you pick up the things of this world that are weak and broken and thrown away, and that you use us for this glorious task. It's such an unbelievable gift. Father, I pray that each and every one of us in this room, that, Lord, we're in love with you. That we know what your Son did for us. We know how he came and he taught us and served us and loved us and died for us and rose from death, Lord. But not just his death, our death too. I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, we have grabbed that new life that you've laid at our feet and we have put it on. And I pray, Lord, that we will leave this place today with a fire to share your message. With a fire, Lord, to do what you asked in your final words. Father, thank you for loving us, for choosing us, and for letting us be your co-laborers in this work. This work to build the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we take the Lord's Supper, Maria is going to come up and lead us in a song. Me and Brother Joe will be up here at the front. Brother James will be in the back. If there's anything on your heart that you just need to lay at God's hands and you would like to know that somebody else is praying for those things, feel free to come up. Uh, Brother Matt will also be in the back. And Brother Pablo, would you mind being up front with us as well? Uh, as always, we are here to pray with you both at service. And if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, seek us out afterwards. We're always here for you. Maria? Let's all stand. quaked before moved by the sound of his voice and Caesar all shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken from my regard through it all through it all my eyes are on through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. It is well with me. Far be it from me to not believe. And this mountain that's in front of me Will be thrown into the midst of the sea Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you Through it all, through it all It is well
sisters in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 it says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink in it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Amen. Paul continues on in this passage and gives us instruction about how to properly take the Lord's Supper. And he reminds us that this isn't just juice and bread. This is the representation of the broken body of Jesus Christ. Of the blood that He spilt and of the pain that His body took on that has washed us of our sins and has given us His righteousness. And he says when we come to the table to take we need to check ourselves of a few things. One, we need to be believers because we are proclaiming by taking this that He is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Second, if there are any sins that we have not laid at God's feet for forgiveness, that we have not repented of, we need to do that first. We need to make sure that we give those over to Him. And third, if there is any relationship with a believer where a believer has asked you for forgiveness but you've been unwilling to grant them that, that you're still holding on to that anger and that hurt in your life. God says, don't take the table. Make it your priority to go make that relationship right first. And so brothers and sisters, I encourage you to think of that wisdom. I encourage you to think of that guidance. And make sure that as we have the cup and the bread coming around, that you feel right to take those to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. Let me go ahead and pray over the bread. Heavenly Father, as we take this bread, we are reminded of the body of Jesus Christ. A body, Lord, that went through so much suffering and pain that He didn't deserve, but that He took on for us, Lord. Father, that You were willing to send Your one and only Son to take our burden and our sin as such an unbelievable gift of love. And Father, we commit to remember that, to proclaim that, and to share that sacrifice every day of our life. Father, we ask that you will bless those that partake of the bread. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, While they were eating, he took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it, then gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. As a family, let us eat. It continues on and says, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for money. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we take this cup, we are reminded of the blood of Jesus, Lord. The blood that not only washed us clean of our sin, but covered us in His righteousness. A gift, Lord, that means not only do we no longer have debt, but now when you look upon us, you see the perfection of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is because of this love and this sacrifice that you have given us a place in heaven beside your Son. It is why, Lord, we have the ability to go out into this world and be light in the midst of darkness. Love in a world of hate. Father, thank you for loving us in such a way. And thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you will bless those who partake and that they will be reminded, Lord, that as they leave today, they represent not just themselves, but your Son, Jesus Christ. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen. As a family, let us drink. It tells us in Scripture that after they had finished the Last Supper, they sang a hymn. And so our sister Maria will come up and lead us in a closing chorus. If you don't mind standing. Let's all stand. <clears throat> to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. 
to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory great things he hath done and all God's people said Amen. Amen I love you all, it's a blessing to worship with you remember your mission since the whole sermon was about it I'll assume you know what that means